Today's reading from Job, and two passages. The first passage, thirty-eight one to eleven. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, "Who is that obscure my plan with word without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me." You shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who mark off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretches the measuring line across it? On what were its listing set? And who lays its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together. And all the angels shout for joy. Who shut up the sea behind the door, when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the cloud its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set door and bar in place. When I said, "That's far, you may come and no farther." Here is where. Your proud ways hold. Second passage from forty-two to one to six. Then the Job replied to Lord, "I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted." You ask, "Who is this that obscures my plan without knowledge?" Surely, I spoke of things I did not understand. Since too would wonderful for me to know. You said, "Listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me." My ear had heard of you, but now my eye have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself, and repent in dust and ashes. Hi again. So, as I said, I have、um, this strange title, Baptist Missioner for Science and Environment, because I, you know I had to invent a title for myself when I when I kind of stepped down from church leadership, and that seemed to be the the best way to describe what I do. So I, I do various things. I do messy church, as you saw this morning yesterday. I、um, I go into schools. To do、uh, science and faith days with a group called God of the Big Bang, and in fact, we were at Bennett Memorial last December with the Upper Six, and we're coming back in November the twenty-eighth. So, please pray for us. So we had a good day. There are a good a bunch of young people there, and then I work with some of the Christian environmental charities like Arosha and、uh, the John Ray Initiative. But a lot of my time is spent、uh, with Baptist churches and the Baptist Union Environment Network, which. Through which we're trying to encourage the Baptist Together family to become a little bit more engaged with issues around environment and、uh, climate change as we journey through this century of the climate crisis. Now, over the last、uh, two and a half weeks, in fact, we got back last Sunday night. My wife and I have been up in Scotland on the west coast, 
and over to Orkney for uh, a week. And one of the liberties you can take as a Baptist minister is you can show people your holy snaps. So here are a few pictures we took along the way. Have you got that PowerPoint up, Tracy? Oh, no, that's not the one. <laughs> that's all right. That's all. You've not got the other one. Oh, okay, so one I sent you on Friday. And there was a video as well. You got the video? Fine, okay. Well, I can't show you my holy snaps, but we spent a, we spent, it's a shame really, we spent a lot of time by the coast. And uh, we, we went over to the west coast of Scotland, we started at a place called Applecross, which must be one of the remotest communities in the United Kingdom on the mainland. And we slowly drove up the north coast to uh, the top, to Thursco, and then crossed over with the ferry to Orkney. And it was an ever-changing scene of uh, locks, sea locks, and mountains, and moorland, and farmland. And uh, you pass through these little towns, and they, you know, you'd look on the map, it's a town. And when you get there, it's a few scattered buildings over about a mile of the road. That's a town in northern Scotland, or northwest Scotland. And, um, I think by the time we'd done this for three days, we both had the same feeling of being absolutely overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by it. We planned our journey between stops, overnight stops, using Google Maps, that it would take us two hours to drive between places, and which would give us time to stop and to walk. Well, two hours turned into five, with a brief stops for a bite to eat or look at the view. And even when you look at the view, you, you could be stopping every five minutes to look at the view. I mean, if you think the Lake District is majestic, it's a pimple on the map of England compared to the north part of Scotland. It's an absolutely overwhelming experience to travel through that landscape, through the, the scale and majesty and the, the wondrous variety that there is. It is really hard to take in. And I guess we're still processing that. And maybe that's right. Because the coastlands, the coastal places of our world, are places of immense spiritual significance in the story of creation. Because the story of creation, the story of the Bible, begins by the sea. Where were you, God said to Job, when I laid the earth's foundations? When I shut the sea behind doors, when I said, this far you may come, and no further. The coast should remind us, as we looked at this experiment here, that God brings order to the initial mess and disorder of the world. And yet perhaps so often as we're lying on the beach or looking at that view, it passes us by. See, God brings order to the world, but actually the order's never complete, naturally or humanly. There's always mess in the world. And at times the mess of our living is working against the purposes of God to bring order and peace to creation. You know, the coastlines seem incredibly fixed, don't they, with the shortness of human life 
they seem incredibly stable, and yet they're always changing. Carolyn and I, another passion for us is, is uh, stone circles and really ancient sites, and Orkney is a fantastic place to go. There have been people living on Orkney for about 8,000 years, 9,000 years, and they left their mark uh, in the monuments they left in the landscape. There were no trees, so they had to build in stone, and the stones endured. But when those first people got to Orkney, it wasn't a, a scattering of 70 islands, it was one big island. And gradually, over the past 5,000 years or so, the sea has risen up after the last ice age and flooded the low-lying land between the islands. The coastlands are always changing, but we're, we're so unaware of it with the short span of our lives. But now, actually, the coastlands are changing rapidly as the world warms due to the calm dark side in the atmosphere, as the oceans expand as they get hot, hotter, as the ice melts over the poles and over the mountains and floods into the ocean. The oceans have come up 20 centimetres in the last century. Last year I was in uh, Norfolk at a church on, on uh, Yarmouth and we stayed in a holiday resort uh, near the church for the weekend. And uh, Hannah, who works with the Baptist Union Environment Network in East Anglia, she said, oh, where you're staying, you, you see that, that building on the beach? That's a cafe and a car park. She said, but actually there used to be a cafe and a car park 400 metres beyond that. Just gone in the last 10 years because of the changes to the coastlines. And around the world, low-lying lands and islands are starting to be overwhelmed by high tides and stronger cyclones and storms. Extreme weather has been a constant feature of our news this summer. Heat waves, storms. 20,000 people may be dead last week in Libya, or a few weeks ago in Libya, as dams burst due to extreme weather. A whole city destroyed by a flood of water. And these extreme weather events, they're symptoms of our warming world, our use of fossil fuels. We've already warmed the planet by 1.1 to 1.2 degrees over the last 170 years, because unbeknown to us at first, but we've been more aware of this since the 70s, the carbon dioxide that we release through burning oil, coal and gas, just keeps accumulating in the atmosphere. There's 50% more of it than there was in 1800 already. 1 1.2 degrees warmer the Earth is because of that. And governments make plans to reduce the amount of carbon dioxide we all put into the atmosphere. And so far, if they're true to their promises, we're looking at the end of this century for two to three degrees of warming. Now, I, I had the privilege of going to a, a school in um, Coningsby in, uh, East, in Lincolnshire last year, uh, working with some year six children and talking about climate change. And if I asked those children in those classes, I had 90 children that day, if they'd ever experienced the effects of climate change, 90 children in that school put their hands up because Coningsby was the hottest place in the United Kingdom in that July hot day, 40.3 degrees. And they told me of a day in school where most of them weren't in school, only a third of them turned up. They told me of a day in school of smelly feet, ice buckets to try and cool down, wet flannels on their heads, sitting in the shade at lunchtime. 
They knew about climate change because they'd experienced it for themselves. That was one day in July. Really extreme day as well. But some of those children who are now 10, 11, they may still be alive at the end of the century. They'll be about 90. But that one hot day, by the time they're 90, if we carry on like we are with a two to three degree warming, that won't be an exception. That'll be every summer. Every summer. That's the journey that we are on at the moment as a society. God's ordering of the world is being overwhelmed by the disorder that we bring to people and we bring to other creatures in creation. And the story of Job begins by a man who is overwhelmed by disorder. And maybe his pain, his suffering, is a picture of the feeling that many feel today, that they're overwhelmed by these changes that are happening in the world. He lost his family due to extreme weather. A storm destroyed the house that they were living in. He lost his health. And many people in places where it's getting almost too hot to live are struggling with their health too. And he's in despair, but he's in despair over these overwhelming events, this overwhelming disorder that has come into his life. And right at the start of Job, in chapter 3, he... he, cries out, may thick clouds settle over the day of my birth, may blackness overwhelm its light. It's imagery taken from those first chapters of Genesis, of that dark, chaotic ocean at the start of the world. And that's how he felt. And that's how a lot of people feel. That's how a lot of people feel who are impacted by these extreme weather events, whose houses are burnt down whose homes are washed away, whose fields are tainted with salt as tides overwhelm them year after year. And maybe you feel like that too. Maybe you can feel overwhelmed by the scale of it all and feel actually there's little you can do in the face of these events which are shaping our world. I mean, after all, if the governments can't make up their minds and they're really struggling at the moment in our fragmented world, what chance do we have as individuals? I was at Guildford Baptist Church on my way here on uh, Friday because we have, uh, in Buen, we have this environmental installation of large images of creation which we ask people to reflect on spiritually. Um, they're using them in their chapel this week, uh, inviting people from the cafe to go and see them and uh, one of the ministers there I was chatting with said how do you keep hope alive in the face of this you know I've been journeying with this issue of climate change now for oh gosh longer than I care to remember 30 35 years you know I I was in the Met office uh, and the Hadley Centre building climate models in the 1990s and I remember the struggle it was to get people to take us seriously to get the governments of the world to start to believe. I remember the fossil fuel industry funding other scientists to prove our results were wrong. I remember people talking about the uncertainty in our results and they couldn't commit money to making a difference to it. 
And I remember people starting to take us a bit more seriously in the noughties and they all coming crashing down after the failed Copenhagen Climate Conference. And then I remember the rising hope of the Paris Climate Accord 10 years ago. And then it seems to peter out again. And the hope we had a few years ago of COP26 in the UK. And yet now the government which held out so much promise back then has just reneged on some of its promises it made two years ago. How do you keep hope alive in the face of these powerful forces in the political world and in society, not only the powerful forces that there are in creation, the natural forces which we are unleashing by our behaviour? How do you keep hope alive? Well, Job found hope as God met him at the coastlines, at the seaside. Because that's where God takes him back to in his challenge. Look at the way I limited the disorder of the ocean by setting the land in place. You know, we took a sea journey from Thursco to uh, Orkney. Actually, we could see Orkney in the distance when we left. But it's always exciting, isn't it, when you're on a bit of a wobbly ship and you're coming close to shore and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's always a sense of, I don't know, gladness that you're going to arrive there. And God says to Job, look at the seaside, look at the coastlands. This is where Job, God starts with Job on this tour of creation. If you think David Attenborough invented the nature programme or Brian Cox is the best presenter of all, forget it, this is the first nature programme in the Bible, and God's the presenter, and Job is the audience, and God takes Job on this tour of creation in its rich variety of shape and colour, all of it being held in place by God's creative power amongst the mess, holding out hope against the turmoil and decay. You know, the psalmist, Dan made reference to the the, the kind of spirit hovering over waters at the start of creation. And and the psalmist in Psalm 104 takes hold of that image and says that when God, you send your spirit out into the world, life is created and you renew the face of the earth. And God's spirit is constantly at work through the history of the world, not just at the beginning. Constantly at work in our world. And that despite the disorder and the pain and the suffering, God is still working to bring hope into the hopelessness of creation. Creation, which actually I think is shaped by the pattern we see at Easter, of God bringing life out of a mess. You know, the Holy Spirit was at work when Jesus is raised back to life. That's what Paul says in Romans. Jesus is raised to life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit is at work in creation, renewing and bringing hope, even in the midst of this time when we are creating disorder. And as as Job journeys with God on this tour of creation, he is changed. And he says at the end of it, my ears had heard of you. We hear a lot about God, don't we, in our churches? People like me spout on a lot. We listen to a lot of things about God, but he says something really significant. He says, my ears have heard of you, 
but now my eyes have seen you. As God's taken him on this tour of creation, he has seen something of God. I wonder if that's happened to you too. I think it's something that happened to me and Carolyn as we toured the north of Scotland, as we saw the majesty and the, the grandeur of it all. Walking on beaches and cliffs, seeing a variety of animals, a deer on a headland, owls flying on cliff tops, dolphins skipping through waters, gazing down on a kestrel from the top of a mountain, not from below. Or maybe you'll find it walking in the woods that me and Dan walked through on the edge of Pembury. I'm also amazed this close to London. I shouldn't be amazed because it's the same in Hertfordshire as well. This close to London, you have beautiful scenery and woodland just to go and walk through. I wonder if you see God in all of that. See, I think through creation, through the wonder of creation, there's a call to humility before the majestic and overwhelming wonder of it all. You know, our life is shaped, I think, a lot by our experience of life and sometimes where we live. And uh, in going up to Orkney, I I started to explore, uh, try the culture of the Orkney Islands. I discovered an author called George McKay Brown, who I'd never heard of before. And uh, he'd written some books about Orkney culture. He was a poet. Uh, He converted to Christianity at some point in his life. Uh, he uh, wrote a novel about St. Magnus, who is the kind of patron saint of Orkney who was martyred uh, about a thousand years ago. The cathedral in Kirkwall is named after him. But he wrote a book, a strange book, called Besides an Ocean of Time. I mean, perhaps not surprising because Orkney is surrounded by an ocean. But really it was a book about reflecting on the fleetingness of our lives, the significance of our lives in the the bigness of the world, in the bigness of history. We were overwhelmed on our trip by a vista too big to take in, a sign of God's power, a reminder of our smallness in space and time, an invitation to humility before God an invitation to live within his purposes, through which that is shaped, to play our part in bringing order and hope to the world. I think you can get that same experience walking through those woods, the beech woods. Oh, got the pictures. Just scroll through them a bit, because they're just just pictures of the wonder of we were seeing. I think it's a call to humility as God reveals to us the wonder of creation. But I think actually this, we can discover something of our value amongst this creative playfulness of God. You know, there was such variety on our trip. There were dark hills surrounding shimmering locks. There were miles and miles of flat moorland and then there were green meadows where people were farming. And as I said, the saw this variety of life, deer and owls. We even saw a red squirrel on our last day. (laughs) There were seals in the sea and dolphins as we went on the ferry 
between the islands. There's such variety in the landscape and life in the world, and this is a sign of God's playful, creative joy. And actually, we're a part of that as individuals. You know, our life may seem short, but they are not insignificant. We have small lives, and yet we are able to appreciate the wonder that God has put into the world. We are made in the image of God. We're able to share in the enjoyment of God's playfulness, and we're given the creative gifts to share in God's shaping of the world, sometimes for bad, but actually with the possibility of doing it for good. And in all of this, in the wonder, in the playfulness of which we are a part, there is an invitation to work within God's creative purpose and plans for creation. I said earlier, Orkney has few trees, and the ones that it has aren't very tall because it's very windy. But actually, what wasn't always the case, when people first arrived there to live there, Orkney was covered in trees. And one of the things we did there, it was Orkney Science Week when we arrived, and we went with a tour around some of the archaeological sites on the Nessa Brodga, uh, which is an amazing site with two stone circles and this uh, uh, Iron Age, cer- uh, Stone Age ceremonial centre, 5,000 years old, with, with large ceremonial buildings in it. Amazing place. But we went to the archaeologist. And she wasn't interested in the buildings or the stones. She was interested in the mud at the bottom of the lakes. And they drill down into the muds and they take a core out and she looks at the pollen in the mud over the last 10,000 years. And she can identify in the mud column when the pollen changed from tree to grass about 6,000 years ago. Because with stone axes, a few thousand people cleared the woods on Orkney so they could farm the land to grow crops and to feed their cattle and sheep. We have continually shaped the world for our benefit. And that's brought benefits. And yet, as our friend earlier prayed, actually it's brought this increasing disorder too. And at the moment, the way we are treating the world, the way we are chopping down the forest, the way we are polluting the atmosphere with our carbon dioxide, actually leads to the playfulness of God that we see in life and the world being subdued and overwhelmed in the lives of people and the life that we share this planet with. And I think, as God did for Job, we are invited to look at creation with fresh eyes and to hear his invitation to action and change. Because Job said, I have heard of you, but now I see you. And therefore I repent in dust and ashes. As we see the wonder of God in the world, as we understand through science the disorder we're adding to the world. God calls us to turn around and change. 
to recognise where our lives are working against God's creative hope and purpose and to set our hearts on and living within the creative activity of God who is seeking to bring hope and peace to people and all of creation. Within the despair and the anxiety to share the hope of resurrection life which God is continually bringing to the world. So the next time you go for a walk by the sea, or even in your own woodland here, keep an eye out for God. Keep an eye out for God in the wonderful and playful variety of it all, the trees and the animal life that you see. And know that despite the turmoil and disorder of our times and our lives and our world, God is still at work bringing hope. And here is invitation to be people who share that hope and bring that hope with him to the world. I want to end by showing you a, a clip of a film. Um, one of the things I've been doing with the Baptist Union Environment Network is making four films on environmental themes. The themes are um, the sky, which I know something about, uh, coasts, which I know a bit about, trees, which I know less about, and life. And in the films, they're called God Saw That It Was Good. Uh, we explore some of the science behind those themes and the wonder of the science, the wonder of creation. But we also want people to reflect on the presence of God through that and his invitation to, um, to change, to action with him. So the films will be ready uh, probably in November, but I've got an excerpt from one of them on coastlands. Just the final part of the film is a two or three minute prayer reflection so we can encounter God. So we're going to show you the coastlands film and then I'm going to hand over back to Dan. So let's enjoy, watch, and listen for the invitation of God to make a difference to our world, its people, and other creatures in this time of climate change. 